0: Listening to the Birth Bruja podcast, an extension of birthbruja.com.
1: We are an online educational platform devoted to decolonial approaches to healing and reproductive care. Here, friends, we get personal. We get political. We talk business. We talk shit. We talk pleasure. We learn and unlearn and find growth by embodying practices of healing and justice. We are your hosts. My name is Eric Guajardo-Johnson, and my pronouns are she, they. And my name is Mickey McHenry. My pronouns are she, her. Let's dive in. You're listening to episode 29. My name is Eric Guajardo-Johnson. As some of you may know, I've been working with survivors of sexual assault for just over 15 years. Primarily, my work has been with San Francisco Women Against Rape, a woman of color led community based rape crisis center out of San Francisco. And yes, I will always give them a shout out every time this comes up because they are part of my home. I would not be here without them. Since that was the foundation of my work in relation to the intersections of healing and justice, when I became a birth worker, it was just a natural extension of this analysis on the world. And one of the things I noticed is that healing from sexual assault is so, so similar to seeking an empowering reproductive care experience, specifically around birth. And what continues to astound me is despite how many similarities exist, and despite the fact that one in three people with a uterus will experience sexual violence by the time they are 21, despite that statistic, it is so rare for me to find survivor stories and spaces centering the intersections of the two. It is so rare for me to find people willing to talk about their experiences of navigating survivorship while seeking reproductive wellness support. For most survivors, shame and guilt are burdens that are dealt with daily. It is something that keeps people from speaking about their experience. It's what keeps them from seeking justice, seeking accountability. It's also what gets in the way of folks accessing healing resources. And so, when something as common as a menstrual cycle starts, or pregnancy, or miscarriage, birth, postpartum, endometriosis, so many common, common reproductive experiences. So, when they come along and these themes of bodily autonomy, having control over ourselves, being believed, being deemed the experts of our own experiences, the themes of having someone exert power over our bodies, having consent taken away within the medical complex, even if folks aren't aware overtly, the connection, so many themes touch upon both reproductive experiences and themes of survivorship. As a peer counselor for survivors and as someone who supports survivors of trauma in preparing for their birth and postpartum experience, one of the tools I'm always looking out for are other survivor stories. One of the most impactful things that I have experienced in my healing is when I see myself reflected in someone else's story, and it's only through... That Only through seeing myself reflected in someone else that I'm able to gain just a sliver more compassion for myself, a sliver more understanding, a little bit more spaciousness, and that can make all the difference. So today's episode is part one of a two-part series with a friend and a fellow colleague, Rachel Samentili. Her pronouns are she, her, and she is a fellow birth worker. Rachel is someone who I had the pleasure of meeting when I moved to the Metro Detroit area. Early in our friendship, Rachel and I connected over our healing journeys. We connected over our passion and our love for healing, community, spirituality, merging all of those realms together together. And in more recent times, we connected over this wild cosmic timing where both of us at the same time were cresting into a new chapter of our experience of healing from sexual assault while also needing to seek medical care for reproductive-related struggles. It's very rare that I come across people whose personal journeys of healing mirror my own. So it was so wild and so meaningful to be sharing my story while also having someone understand how big of a deal it was to be able to not just come up with self-advocacy strategies, but to actually utilize them to not just be practicing grounding activities where we're trying to stay in our body and not disassociate and become numb, but to succeed in that working during a moment of overwhelm. It was wild and it was beautiful. And my friend Rachel agreed to have this conversation with me on air recorded for you all. This episode is dedicated to fellow survivors And today's episode is going to be centering Rachel's experience. Rachel's going to be speaking to some of the context of what her healing journey has looked like over the last few years, what brought her to seeking medical care, what strategies she utilized before and during that appointment, and what has that done for her. Rachel's story is one where her initial visit with the care provider resulted in what I would describe to be one of the best case scenarios. And I think it's really powerful for folks to hear what a solid response looks like from a care provider and to also hear the impact that it can have on the patient, on the survivor Before I move to more formally introduce Rachel, I just want to pause and extend my deepest gratitude for her willingness to share her story as a survivor. As survivors, we don't owe anyone our story. We don't have to give any details or prove anything for our experience to be valid and knowing that Rachel has extended this extreme vulnerability and trust in me and our community by sharing her experience. As we move through today's episode, I invite you as best you can to stay in your body, to allow yourself to feel the feelings, to allow yourself to pause, to take the deep breaths. Especially if you are a space holder for other people, this is an example of doing the work, of allowing ourselves to sit with all of our humanity and bear witness to someone else's experience, all while staying as grounded as we can, managing that inner dialogue, and just trying to listen with an open heart. Rachel, friend, thank you so much again for this privilege, this honor. And with that, I would like to share more about our guest. Rachel Sementilli, pronouns she and her, is a queer full-spectrum birth worker, holistic fertility and menstrual cycle healing guide, and a reproductive health educator based in so-called Southeast Michigan. She also spends time doing work as an intuitive energy healer and yoga teacher. Rachel was brought to this work, like so many of us, by her personal experiences, healing journey, and drive for political activism. She is passionate about reproductive care and about devoting herself to a praxis that is self-healing, community healing, and cultural healing all at once. Without further ado, let's dive in. To start us off, friends, would you please give some context as to where you were at in your healing journey before the navigation of this medical process?
0: Yeah. I started out in a traditional psychotherapy relationship in 2014, and I did that for about five years. and. From there, I was having a change in my work. I was leaving the corporate world. I was going to lose my benefits. That was a decision that I made, and I kind of used that opportunity to find a new relationship with a therapist. And I sought out a trauma informed somatic experience therapist who was also really rooted in a foundation of. Spirituality, as well as experience with the birth worker community in particular. So it was like every way that you can be a good fit, it felt like a good fit. And I started that about three and a half years ago. And that really was like opening up the floodgates of healing in a totally different way. And Kind of brought me to a point this year where I was feeling ready to reinitiate a relationship with a medical doctor. And I hadn't been to a doctor in over five years. And that's kind of where we came to this conversation between you and me of initiating a care relationship with a doctor again. And finding ourselves in similar situations of like, okay, how do you navigate that with all the new strategies, with the new perspective, with different coping mechanisms, right. with the somatic awareness?
1: So before we dive into the medical process, would you mind speaking a little bit more to what somatic therapy is and what, That has been like for you to be doing that work for three years?
0: Yeah. I always felt something was missing from the traditional psychotherapy that I was doing. It's funny, like, this idea of not needing to name or explain or like tell your story. Like that's not necessary for healing or for being in relationship with other people doing this work. And I also feel the same way. I, I didn't used to feel that way. I spent a lot of time in psychotherapy trying to figure out like, what was the event that happened to me? Like what repressed memory was hiding? And like wanting to, <laughs> it's funny, I'm like, This is the first time I'm articulating this and it's making me think about like how one way the relationship to our bodies and to our psyche is so grotesque under colonization is that like I was using extractivism on myself. I was like trying to find a way to like mine and dig and find the memory that I was repressing. And I just felt like there was something unnamed that was living inside of me that I needed to find so that I could like know it and and, like dissect it and like do this whole thing to it. And I did discover a lot of things, but there was never a moment where I was like, oh, I found my diamond. You know, now I can heal. Now I can be healed. And I think that it kind of relates back to what you were saying of we don't have to always name or even know because we still have access to the healing tools. Our body is still going to communicate the best way forward to us. And in psychotherapy, that element really isn't there, right? The mind-body separation is so prevalent. We all have the vision of the Freudian Laying on the couch talking while someone takes notes on you and you're giving up your power to them and your agency for healing to them as if they can heal you, but you can't heal yourself, right? All those kinds of things. And the somatic experience therapy is reintegrating our relationship with our bodies back into the healing and goes into this with the foundational understanding that you can't move forward if you're stuck in your trauma responses. You know, we need to deactivate the system and show ourselves, show the ecosystem of me that it's safe to move forward. And when I say ecosystem, right, we're talking about the entire human, the, the body, the mind, they're one the gut, the heart, the brain, the vagus nerve, all those things, the relationships around you, the support system around you, all that stuff. Yeah.
1: So one of the things that you mentioned was you gave a snapshot of your experience around memory repression Mm. and memories resurfacing. And one of the things that we had previously talked about off air was how a big part of our feelings coming into today, knowing that we're going to record, is coming to terms with how you and I still, to this day, struggle with shame and guilt coming up into our experience and how, for a lot of folks specifically, memory resurfacing comes through in body-based feelings and or emotional responses That may or may not, quote unquote, make sense, right? Intellectually. Some people are able to know, right? That, oh, this is due to this memory, blah, blah, blah. But I would argue that most people don't. And when it comes to shame, a lot of us blame ourselves for what happened. A lot of us would prefer not to trust our memories. Like, oh, it's just a misunderstanding. I just misunderstood. Or I'm just making this up. And that navigation is what I see a lot of the folks that I've worked with. The reasons why they choose psychotherapy as one of their first journeys is A, because that was one of the only modalities available to them, whether it be free services through a community organization or because that's what their insurance covers. Or a lot of times, what happens is they go into that modality wanting, you said extraction, right? Like wanting the care provider to ask very specific questions to then turn around and say, this is why you are feeling what you're feeling. This is what you have to do about it. A lot of times people seek comfort in psychotherapy because they're looking for someone to validate for them that your experience is right. Is correct right they're looking oh. for the validation oh. and there's some care providers that do an amazing job with it and also in my experience of working with a lot of folks i would say most care providers really suck <laughs> in supporting survivors of sexual violence specifically and especially if, if folks are survivors of childhood experiences of violence it's wild to me how unskilled a lot of care providers are And so this brings me to how glad I am that you were able to first do that work to experience it, to get whatever information you were able to, and then you were able to use that to then seek A, a trauma-informed therapist, which please y'all listeners, Google it if you have not you would think therapists are trauma-informed inherently, but They're actually not. It's a a specific scope or approach to their practice. So the fact that you're able to find that friend, I'm really, really glad. And then to know that you chose somatic, that you chose going into your body because, again, knowing that so many of us struggle with trusting ourselves, when we go to our bodies, we are doing the work of building relationship again with our body-based awareness, with our intuition, rather than trying to force ourselves to figure out why am I feeling this way? Instead, we're finding power through building awareness around what am I feeling and how do I wanna respond? I think it's inherently really hard work and it's inherently empowering. Thank you for letting me drag all that out. And also, I'm just really glad that this is part of the journey that you're sharing. Mm. You know, this
0: is a super vulnerable share for me, but this is why we're here. So I'm going to go for it. A big part of why I wanted to find someone somatic experience based in the first place was because bringing it back to the medical side of things. It's also taken me a really long time to sort of claim this narrative as well, but I've, I've been suffering from chronic pain for a long time. And that chronic pain manifests in my menstrual cycle. So it's kind of added another layer of feeling like it doesn't count or that it's not real to others because it's so, wrapped up in our societal taboos and misogyny that it took me years and years to even really be able to understand that I was living in a cycle of chronic pain and that that was part of my lived experience and what brought me to my therapist in particular was feeling like I'm on a river and the river's frozen and there's something underneath and I can't quite see it or access it. And I'm, you know, another part of me is pounding on the frozen ice, trying to scratch through and I can't make the connection. And I just felt like there was something happening spiritually in my womb and in my relationship to my cycle and my relationship to my body. And I knew that the only way I would be able to access a different way of being even if my pain never changed but how I related to that pain and the identity of feeling like I needed a new way to cope with living in this body and I knew that there were secrets and mysteries and that that sort of cellular memory that were waiting for me to listen to them and traditional psychotherapy (laughs) does not have a space for this, does not have a language for this. And I just felt like the ecosystem of my humanity was reaching a critical threshold. And it was like a switch flipped. And I just knew that those coping mechanisms that had protected me up until that point were crumbling. And I needed something else. I needed to Find an access point into being able to communicate with my body and figuring out a language for talking about how my spiritual beliefs manifested onto my body. And what does that mean about my pain? And, you know, all those kinds of big questions, and feeling like that my pain was somehow related to my spirituality, something I was trying to discover about my spirituality and the belief that my body held a lot of answers. And then that kind of being at odds with the idea that like, okay, well, if I do all this somatic experience healing and I start down the journey of the trauma-informed path and I fix all this stuff, but I still have pain, what does that say about my trust and my faith in my own body? is that process going to then shatter the faith that brought me to this point in the first place?
1: Oof.
0: <laughs> so Oof. dealing with that like that's something I'm still dealing with now and feeling like I said that feels like a really vulnerable share for me because this tangled web of having a certain faith in my body but also being someone who deals with chronic pain and how the journey to healing in my mind, was scary because it would either reinforce or dismantle my faith.
1: Wow. All right, I'm gonna take a, a moment to breathe Ooh, after yeah. that <laughs> giant question. <sighs> Thank you for sharing that. I know that so many of our listeners are gonna resonate with that.
0: I think it's a big fear for so many people because it comes back to that
1: traumatized
0: urge to self-blame. Still somehow in the end, it's your fault. That's essentially to me what that boils down to. And intellectually, I can say that and I can validate myself and have the hope and the trust. But emotionally speaking is a different story. Having the felt belief is really different from repeating something to yourself intellectually before feeling in your bones that it's true.
1: Mm.
0: And ultimately that's a lot of the time what it comes down to in my healing journey of how I make my decisions is like, fuck everything else. What feels true in my bones? That might sound crazy. <laughs> no. That... That's kind of how I've operated over the last couple of years of like doing my best to now that I know how to listen to that part of myself to actually follow through with what it's asking me for.
1: I want to write that down. That cool. <laughs> that's like that right there should be on all of our mirrors every morning and Talk about living with audacity in this society to move through the world with that. On that note, you've been doing this work, you're connecting to your bones, and you decided that it was time to launch back into navigating the medical industrial complex in relation to reproductive wellness. Going in, I know one of the things that we had talked about in the past was the importance of us being aware of how our trauma responses show themselves at this point in time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What were some of the strategies that you had going into this as a result of you being aware of how trauma still manifests?
0: Mm, Yeah, I think for me, for context, I'll share a little bit. I've already named that I have suffered from chronic pain for a very long time, and I consider that one vector of trauma to my reproductive system. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse and assault, and I'm also a survivor of abuse from the medical system. So it's multiple vectors of trauma to my reproductive system. and. I really felt that I had processed so much in therapy and prepared so much, like with some of those strategies that we'll talk about, that I would be fine in the moment, right? But the reality of it actually was that I had not been to a doctor in over five years, that all of my interactions had been with other holistic healing, alternative medicine, virtual consultations or therapy, acupuncture, right? this kind of thing, and had not interacted in over five years. And so I hadn't actually put my body into the situation of confronting that very particular trigger of medical trauma. And I really thought that I was going to be fine. And when I got to that moment of my body's in the waiting room, it was really shocking to me to see what a visceral response was happening in my system, despite all the ways that I had prepared and felt safe and resourced. I'm even getting activated now just remembering it. It was only a month and a half ago. And so that kind of, I wrote a letter for my file. I wrote down my history in advance. I chose a care provider that I knew their reputation of and was a happy medium of like still being a naturopathic doctor. I talked about this decision extensively with my therapist. I had a friend who's also a birth worker who was kind of on-call for me post-appointment in case I needed support. I had all these layers of preparation and resourcing. And I just still found myself trembling at a moment where I felt like I had to hold tears back. And in that moment, I thought, like, what would my therapist say? <laughs> you know, she would tell me not to hold this back, right? Like, have the experience, look for my exits, stop my feet on the ground, show my body that I'm safe, and then have the cry. <laughs> and my doctor in that appointment, the naturopathic doctor, read the letter where I, without too much detail, just named the multiple vectors of my trauma, and named what had happened to me in previous medical experiences. And she put down the paper, made eye contact with me, and said, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And it sounds simple, but what has happened since that appointment, you know, I've had some time to process. And it just feels like I was still in a big freeze state, I think, that I didn't realize until now that freeze has been broken. So, like, I was actively doing positive things to heal myself outside the medical complex, right? All great. But I didn't actually have the moment of confrontation to realize that part of me was still in a freeze until now. Now that I'm not in that anymore, to a certain extent,
1: I'm going to stop there. Yeah. Do you mind if we take some breaths? Yeah, let's do that. (sighs) My body is so full of sensations right now. Thank you for, again, agreeing to share this with me let alone on a recording are you in your body right now
0: yeah i am i think i wasn't
1: for a little while but i'm back now i think okay are you you i was feeling myself reflected in your story already and so i could feel the the desire to pop out but yeah i'm i'm still here thanks for witnessing yeah Hearing you share your physician's response, my body had this huge reaction of like, holy fuck, that is my friend being seen. Your provider sat in that space with you, looked you in the eyes and saw you in your entirety, not just what happened to you, not just what's happening in your body in this moment, but actually pause to see you. Um, It was
0: really intense. You know, even before that, when I walked into the room, I was like, not sure that I was going to get through it because I was panicking in the waiting room. And that was the moment that I named of being like, okay, stop my feet, look for my exits, take some deep breaths. And then I got to the chair and into her, you know, little office. It's all silent. There's no more diffuser. There's no more like cute little posters on the wall. I'm just sitting there in front of her. And that was the point where I just said I need a minute, like I'm not ready to start. And I just kind of let the tears come and she handed me a tissue and she said, you know, do you want to tell me why you're here or I see you brought some things with you and they said I would prefer if you read that first.
1: So she 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 read that in front of you.
0: Yes, she read it in front of me after I had my little cry and like asked her for some spaciousness. Which again, it Oof. sounds simple, but like in the moment in a doctor's office for someone just like someone like me, I guess maybe not for everyone, but for someone like me to say, "Let's pump the brakes." I need a second to process my emotional reaction right now. And this has to go at my pace. That was huge for me to be able to do that and to not feel like there was even any resistance from her.
1: That's huge for all of us. I mean, I know you're using those words to not try to project your experience onto everyone. However, friends, like that is so counter cultural to what medical culture shares, right? We're just a number in line and it's about getting us in and out. And so the fact that you were able to reclaim your space to take up space was huge. And the fact that she responded in that way is also huge.
0: Yeah. So you can see how it would have released me from that freeze, right? Like, you know, I, I have since that interaction had a few others that were, nowhere near that end of the spectrum. (laughs) And we can get into those or not. But it really, truly was transformative for me in feeling like I achieved my goal of coming into a medical facility in order to initiate a healing interaction and to try to build trust with a doctor And that was part of what my letter said too, was like, yes, there's symptoms that I want to address here in a new care relationship, but the number one priority for me in this visit today is to establish trust and to try to find a way to interact with the medical system in an intentional way after having so much trauma at the hands of the medical system so it was really so rewarding to feel like I achieved that goal in that one interaction and you know it's not like that every time and it hasn't been like that since but it really did feel like it unlocked something in me kind of touching back on our previous mentions of like spirituality and our connection to our bodies like something
1: changed significantly for me after that. Yeah. All right. So you just shared with us so many facets of the experience. And just thinking about the folks that I serve, I know that there are a lot of survivors who are listening to this and are feeling hope that this is something that they could do. And you already shared with us that some of your follow-up medical visits were not this epic, I don't know the right word for that. <laughs> but could you please share a few points of what was the medicine that you were able to take away from that first visit? And how has that specifically informed how you have navigated the remainder medical visits? And how has it shaped how you feel as you continue? Mm. I think
0: I started to touch on this when we were off air and I want to name it now because I think it applies to everyone, not just survivors that we live in a society of, you know, white supremacist patriarchy and that we're groomed from before we're born to kind of like tolerate a way of being treated that is deeply misogynistic and violent. And every sort of coming of age story that I know of in my peer group, there's a true lack of bodily autonomy. And that that is something that we're taught to endure from a very, very young age. And that translates in a very profound way to how we interact with the medical system. And as a birth worker, I cannot miss the opportunity to say how much that dynamic influences the way people give birth in this country and the culture of people not even realizing that informed refusal is an option our society normalized that lack of bodily autonomy for me in a very real way from the time I was very young and not to mention like, I'm a Libra. And like, I'm very much have a peacekeeper personality. And I was really never like, realizing how that was something that could hold me back in a way like it's in my nature to seek balance and harmony. And unconsciously, that was my role for so long, but peacekeeper at any and all costs is a very dangerous position to be in. So for me, the true coming of age, the true sense of finally feeling like I have maturity and enough agency to accomplish what we just talked about, was like sort of letting that peacekeeper identity drop a little bit, With the understanding that, like, my righteous indignation is not selfish. My righteous indignation is not my ego. It's not hubris. I don't need to talk myself out of it. I don't need to be humble about it. That, like, it's there as a protective urge. And that learning to hone that for myself and for others, is like what fuels my passion for activism and advocacy, but was also the very tool that allowed me to rescue myself.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) What an answer. Oh, my
0: Lord. I don't even remember what your question was.
1: I'm, oh, It was asking you in short, what was some of the medicine you took away and how, how are you carrying that with you? Oh, what a (laughs) gift. And, and I just want to, again, honor that this journey, this is, you're still on it. You're still on it. And I just want to thank you for sharing this with us. I want to thank you for doing the work you have, because in terms of the time for today, we only really touched on your story. We didn't even get to the part where you speak about your work professionally, Mm -hmm. right? Supporting others on their healing journeys and what that can be like being a survivor as well. So I just want to thank you for continuing to show up for yourself because it deeply shows in how powerful of a job you do in, in working with others and being a really brilliant, member of our reproductive justice community. I have one last question. And that is, friend, if you had a chance to speak to your past self, to give her one piece of advice or wisdom or to say something, what would it be?
0: What's welling up for me right now is this message to trust yourself and to trust your body and that I know I'm still working through those fears about faith and pain and growth that's all still very real but the way that my character has changed and the way that I have been Embraced by so many people in my community, like you, validating me in such a beautiful way just now, those things are enough to make it worth it. And that even if my so called faith is dismantled, right? Like, not that I believe that will happen, but that's sort of the naming of the worst fear. It's still worth it. That the journey of trusting your body, of honing in on that language of believing that you know best and that that you have the tools, that journey in and of itself, regardless of the outcome in physiologic healing, I guess, it's worth it and there's nothing that could happen to me in the future that can break that away anymore. And I feel so grateful to have access to that. And we talked about this last time we met, you know, feeling almost like I don't deserve this privilege, but that I, I'm really trying to keep my head down and keep doing that work so that I don't forget that message that, it's not it's not about never having to take ibuprofen again <laughs> you know and that this this really truly to me is spiritual work and nothing can change how valuable that has been so trust yourself out there everyone even if everyone around you thinks you sound crazy or, like, a conspiracy theorist who doesn't trust the, you know, holy trinity godfather doctor. Like, I believe you. I trust you. Keep at it.
1: Thanks for listening to the Birth Bruja podcast. Be sure to check out show notes for a list of resources mentioned during today's episode. Are you interested in learning more about the intersections discussed today? Visit birthbruca.com. We are an online educational platform devoted to decolonial approaches to healing and reproductive care. Offerings range from pre recorded courses, e books, live workshops, and more. Want to keep this podcast running? First, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite listening platform. Second, visit birthbruja.com and check out our store to purchase apparel with one of many badass designs. Until next time, friends, thank you for all the ways you show up in this world. Blessings and gratitude.